my friends. It's the holiday season, and um, I have been meaning to get this episode out for a little while now. Took me a minute to get all set up. I'm still getting my home studio set up, and uh, it's so funny. I had this. I have this thing called the Chaotica. It's over there, and it's basically for recording like voiceover work at home. And it's huge. I, I bought it for something entirely different. It's huge. It's like this big. And most of you listen to the show, but if you're watching the show, I was trying to get it set up because when I did the Bjork episode about post, I noticed that the peas were popping really bad. So I need to get a better pop filter. Um, and so I'm working on improving that. But I put the Chaotica on here and it was just oh, it was like it's like this big and it was absurd. It looked like I was um, doing a podcast with a with a like a black planet um, anyway, so I just decided to take it off. I'm doing my best to not blow out my microphone, uh, with the pop sounds from my mouth. So I'm angling towards you, looking at you, trying to make it better, but we're back in the home studio and we're here with another episode of waterproof records, your unsinkable tunes from the past, present and future. And, uh, it's good to see ya. I hope it's good to see me or listen to me or however you partake in this show. Um, there'll be one more episode coming this month. Um, and then we will be starting off the new year in 2023 with hopefully some more guests, some differently themed episodes. I'm going to try to shake it up and make this show more interesting and go even deeper into music and cover more decades. But as you already read the subject of today's episode, it's time to talk about Sunny Day Real Estate Diary. Before we start, I want to thank my sponsor, DistroKid. You guys definitely need to be using DistroKid, and if you go sign up, you can use my VIP link, which is distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof, and that will get you 30% off. That's pretty significant to use DistroKid, and you're, if you haven't heard me talk about it so far, I use them. I plan on using them for a long time ahead. It's a, a platform where you can upload your music and get it streaming everywhere. Um, it's amazing the things that come with DistroKid for free when you pay for your music on there, but you, they include so many things like the Spotify Canvas Generator. Um, they help get you one of those YouTube artist channels. Um, so many great things. You're on Vivo, Tidal, Spotify, um, all the all the major places that you could stream music. So I highly recommend it. They're really they're really just such a great group of people, and I love having them be a sponsor of this show. I'm excited to work with them. I use them when I put out From Out of the Deep End, which is the album I recorded in 2007. So I put it on there, and and it gives me all sorts of great metrics and, and data that I can look at and see who's listening to my album. And then I'm planning on in 2023. I don't know if I've made this official announcement yet, but I am releasing new music next summer. Um, I'm kind of working out like how many songs I'm going to put out there, but I'll be using DistroKid when I do. And there's just so many ways that I can get my music to you more efficiently. Thanks, those guys. So once again, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. Get 30% off your first year. I highly recommend it. Now, that being said, let's get into Sunny Day Real Estate um, Diary, the debut album, the first album that this band put out. 
This is not one of those bands that everybody knows about. A, a large portion of us do. Um, and if you're a fan of this show, you've probably heard of them. But if you are somebody who comes to me to learn more about bands that you'd never got a chance to experience, that's one of the things that I want to share with you. And I am not the maestro. I'm not the person who knows every single artist. I oftentimes get quizzed and comments um, on my social media platforms about bands that I completely missed. And I'll do my best to learn and cover those bands. But this band came along at a very interesting time to be what they were at the time. Because the album Diary releases on May 10th, 1994, which is the same day as Weezer's Blue album. So you've got this band coming out of Seattle, and they're known, famously known, as kind of um, being, one, the second wave of emo, and then also kind of coining this Midwest emo, yet they weren't a Midwest band. Um, I'll leave it up to you to what that means, Midwest emo. It is a sound. Um, it's kind of hard to, to describe, but when you hear it, you're like, yeah, that does seem Midwest uh, emo for some reason. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But... Um, Emo had had a first wave, a post-hardcore wave, more in the 80s um, with Rites of Spring and Fugazi. And, and what that was were, you know, we were taking punk and instead of singing about politics and, and the man bringing us down, it was singing about fear and death and love and loss and depression and getting your emotions. That's what emo is. That's It's the shortening of emotional um, and that was the first wave, but those vocalists were still, they had a lot of that punk post hardcore sensibilities where the vocals weren't necessarily that melodious, um, that, that was, you know, of that scene. But when we get to the nineties and bands like Sunny Day Real Estate come out, we get a lot more melody and singing to these styles of, you know, post hardcore music. So that's why it gets called the second wave of emo. And you more famously know emo as the early 2000s, the My Chemical Romance, the whole, you know, Panic at the Disco, all that stuff blowing up. That was the most popular, radio-friendly, polished scene. And, you know, it's easy to get annoyed with the term emo. I've seen so much disdain. I think there's even a thing in L.A. now called Emo Night. It's become this buzzword. It is just like grunge. You know, it's one of those words that was coined that bands that play that style of music are probably annoyed every time you reference them as emo. Um, it just became this huge umbrella, of course, an umbrella, a very sad umbrella for rain to fall on. And you'd be like, <laughs> and so it's probably annoying for these bands because they get associated with that sound. Um, so it easily can be overused by labels and by magazines and press and publicity. At the end of the day, these are just bands that were influenced by specific things that generated a sound, right? That's all it is. They didn't go in. Sunny Day Real Estate wasn't going, we're going to be an emo band. That wasn't what they were trying to do. They were just coming from a very specific place and time with their influences, their likes and interests and how it was translating into their bands. And so it becomes this thing. Um this band started around 1992, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think it was originally Dan Horner and uh, University of Washington, and he was playing with William Goldsmith on drums and Nate Mandel, and they didn't have a vocalist. I think that's where the, the origins of this band begins, University of Washington. They are all from up in that area. Um, 
And that's the original band. And I think it was instrumental at first. I think Dan Horner was doing a lot of the vocals. He's on guitar. And that was that was the early stage of the band. I forget their first name, but I know at one point in time they were called Chewbacca Kaboom, but that didn't go very well either. There was another first name. I'm forgetting what it is. Oh, Empty Set. It was Empty Set. They recorded a demo as Empty Set, but there existed another band called Empty Set. So then they became Chewbacca Kaboom, which is just a hilariously kind of terrible name. But whatever. It's 1992, 1993. Um, but they they eventually William Goldsmith and Jeremy Enoch uh, went to high school together. And William was the one who was like, hey, I know this guy, these vocals. And here he comes. Dan Horner as a vocalist was singing a lot more, you know, maybe a little bit more heavy vocals. And Jeremy Enoch, if you know this band's music, he has this soaring, really high vocal range. He can get way up there. And while he does scream um, on several of the tracks, especially on Diary, he uses his melodious voice, his kind of angelic side to it, which is really nice pairing and became synonymous with that sunny day real estate sound. And there's that band name again, right? It's that it's that full band name that if you you've I've grown accustomed saying it so it seems normal now, but I remember hearing it for the first time and I was like sunny day real estate. Wow, what a mouthful. You'll often see it um you know abbreviated as SDRE. But the story behind the band name, I think, that they eventually landed on is apparently Nate Mendel, the bass player at the time, not the current bass player, but we will get into that. He uh, was thinking about he was either pondering or listening to the Talking Head song Flowers. Um, and he was thinking about uh, he was thinking about the lyrics of that song. And there's even a line in there that says real estate. And he was thinking about the commodification of Things like sunny days about taking things and would we get to a future, you know, kind of an apocalyptic world where things like sunny days would be sold like real estate. And that's, I think, where it landed. And, you know, I've said it so many times and seen it my whole life. So it's normal to me. But still to this day, if you introduce this band to somebody and you say, yeah, the band's called Sunny Day Real Estate. It is kind of like I was like, oh, interesting. I think I even referred to it on the TikTok that I made about the band, about how the, the name is kind of like, well. That's a mouthful, you know, but there you are. You've got sunny day real estate coming out in the early 1990s. And like I mentioned, the lineup was Jeremy Enoch, um, Dan Horner. And I hope I'm saying his last name right there. might He might be listening or somebody who knows him well might be listening. You know, he does have one of those names that's spelled a little bit different. It might be Honer, but I've always said Dan Horner. And then you've got William Goldsmith on drums and Nate Mendel on bass. And several of those members... Um, as I have been told in my comments, which I already knew, um, there's a connection of sunny day real estate to Foo Fighters in a huge way in that when the Foo Fighters were getting off the ground and getting started and Dave Grohl had recorded these, uh, demos and stuff, he had to build a band. He had to bring people together to record it. Um, there's a lot of confusion about this. You know, when I make videos about Foo Fighters or I make videos about Sunny Day Real Estate, there's a lot of information about out there about how things come out. Like on the Foo Fighters video, uh, you know, me and uh, Patrick Hicks were talking about how that was all Dave recording it. And there was so much confusion in the comments because they were like, well, no, he's got these other band members. We were trying the best our way to explain that there there was an evolution of him forming this band and then needing band members and then gathering people together. 
And initially in the early days of the Foo Fighters, uh, Dave Grohl gathers Nate Mendel on bass and he gets William Goldsmith on drums. But the relationship with Nate Mendel is still ongoing and he is still a member of that band. But William Goldsmith, I think, left Foo Fighters uh, a bit contentiously in 1998 because there just was a clashing in personalities between Dave Grohl and William Goldsmith. So going back to the band itself, I don't want to get too caught up in that that whole situation, but the, those bands are kind of always in the news as to having this tension between them. And I know not every member of Sunny Day Real Estate has any you know harsh feelings about the Foo Fighters, but there's definitely some some tension and and past and history with the band and recording things with them, um, especially in I think it was 2000 and. 9, 2010, right around that time where they were recording stuff in the Studio 606, which is Dave Grohl's. So anyway, let's get back to Diary. I don't want to take too much time talking about um, that drama. I'll have to be honest with you that I wasn't aware of the entire Sunny Day Real Estate experience and the album Diary in 94, 95 when it was coming out. You know, in, in May 10th, 1994... I was on the Weezer train. I got that album right away. I did an episode on it earlier. I'm sure you've heard my Weezer episode and how that landed in my life. But this one, I remember seeing the music video on 120 Minutes for 7 off of uh, off of this album, Diary. And it had those you know pencil drawing versions of them. And it had the way that, that drums, William Goldsmith's drums, just kick in and drop out. And if you know me and you know the show, you know, Quiet Loud, Quiet Loud. It's just a dynamic that I love. The Pumpkins do it. Pixies do it. Nirvana did it. A lot of these bands that did these just raging distortion and drums, and then they go quiet. And that was definitely what Seven did. And I remember seeing that music video on 120 Minutes and thinking it was cool and really liking it. But the thing that I can't understand about me at the time was I must have just been so focused on these other artists that I would enjoy something on MTV, but I wouldn't immediately go out and grab it and be like, oh, okay, now I'm going to follow this band. You know, it was like you, you could only give your attention to so many things. And given that the internet wasn't a common thing at all, um, it wasn't like I really uh, got a chance to, to see and understand who this band was during this era, 95, 94, 95, 96, 97. It isn't until I get into college and uh, my roommate and one of my dear friends, Jarrett Dapier, he really brings me closer to Sunny Day Real Estate. And during that time, I start, you know, listening to How It Feels to Be Something On, which is probably my favorite Sunny Day Real Estate album next to. No, that's not true. LP2, the pink album might be my favorite. Anyway, it's hard to pick. And The Rising Tide, which I saw them on that tour at my college, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I saw that tour. I bought that album when it came out. But I was missing Sunny Day when they were coming up. And when you dig in deeper, there's no surprise that I was missing them and a lot of you were missing them because they just didn't do press. There was so much mystery around this band that was coming out in 1994. First of all, they're in Seattle. So they're coming out of where grunge and that style of music. This is very unusual band to be on a label like Sub Pop. Their album Diary um, I think it's the seventh best-selling sub-pop album of all time, and at least w- w- some of the information that I found on it, but 
they were getting sold out there, but they just didn't do press and publicity. They had one photo that they allowed, one press photo, this black and white photo where they're wearing like ties and button up shirts. And that was the only thing that you could see from this band. So it's not like they were doing magazine shoots and interviews. They were not being very public about who they were. And that mystery, especially for a kid growing up in the middle of the United States, not in a place where bands are touring and and uh, coming through on a regular basis or having access. I was listening to college radio and I was getting bands from other people that I knew. I was watching Headbangers Ball in 120 minutes. But without somebody really helping you get that information, it could easily be lost. And it was lost on me at the time. I missed it. I saw the video. I'm sure I remember watching 120 minutes and seeing that little, you know, title card at the bottom left of the screen in the white font. And I'm sure I saw it said Sunny Day Real Estate 7. I'm sure I loved the video. I thought it was super cool. And the moment it was over, I bet you that band name just escaped my memory and I and I went about my my day. You know, I went back to school and focused on the bands that I was listening to at the time. Um, but again, so much of that early start of this band, other funny things were happening that prevented them from getting widespread. Dan Horner famously wouldn't go to California to tour. He was like, it was like a no California rule. And you might be thinking to yourself, you're like, why? Well, what I found, at least what I read in interviews, were early on when the band was just getting started, Somebody from a record label or one of those label L.A. douchebags or somebody spoke to Dan and, 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 and can be summarized as saying, well, you have to move to L.A. You have to play in L.A. In order for you to make it big, you have to do these things. You have to, have to, have to, have to. And that went in one ear for Dan. And he was like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And I... I can understand. I'm definitely not one of those people that that in every circumstances goes against what's told to me. But I do have in my personality, and maybe you can relate to this. I have in my personality that if somebody tells me that I should do something, I have this instinct to want to do the opposite. Um, you know, in in dieting and health, like if somebody were to kind of harp on me or say that I was. I don't know, chubby, or they were to have a criticism for that, I would almost then want to be like, <laughs> you would think that you'd be like, oh, I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm going to, I'm going to get healthy. No, I almost want to double down and, and go and be worse. You know what I mean? Like if anybody has a criticism for me, I often want to go the way that, that doubles down as if I'm like, oh, you, you think that you're going to ask this of me? Well, fuck you. I'm going to do it this way. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's hard to put into perspective, but if somebody was to say, hey, Jacob, maybe you drink too much. Well, if you if you said that to me, I would just drink more. <laughs> and I know that's terrible. That's a terrible role model to set. But I have to have this sense of coming to terms with things for myself. And when somebody tries to mommy me or tell me what to do, you should do this. You should do that. I just I just get this really deep fire inside that I'm like, no, I will not. In fact, I'll do it. 10 times more, which is bad, which is bad. It's a bad habit, I'm sure. Um, so when I read this from Dan, I can like, I can understand that overcorrection, you know, some 
record label douche says you got to move to L.A. You got to play in L.A. The only way you're going to make it is if you go to L.A. So Dan has this strict. I'm not going to California. The entire state policy. Um, and there's even they I think that Sunny Day Real Estate played a K-Rock almost acoustic Christmas in the mid 90s. And it was only three of the band members, despite Dan, because he wouldn't go, um, which is funny, petty. But, you know, it is what it is. They were they were, you know, young musicians and had their convictions, I guess. So that was one another reason. Here's this band that has, you know, hardly any press or interviews. There's only one photo circulating around about them. And then also they did this Nordstrom ad. And it's been commented that it was trolling before trolling was a thing. But the band did this photo shoot for Nordstrom. And I read that they brought in a fake singer and, a, and they gave a fake band name. And they did this Nordstrom ad. And then Nordstrom ends up using like the band and the real name in the photo. And so it was kind of like this. We're going to do this to be funny. Um, before internet trolling was a thing. But anyway, I'm all over the map. I know there's so much to talk about with Sunny Day Real Estate um, and this this album, this band, and this sound that was coming out. Um, the album is produced by Brad Wood, who is famous for re- recording some really groundbreaking, incredible artists this time. Um, you know, Liz Fair, Placebo, many, many more. You should look up what he's produced. Um I've talked about him, I think, on other shows before, and we've connected on social media, which is very cool. It's amazing when you make a video about a band and then the actual producer of the band says, like, I think I did the Sunday Day Real Estate. Um, I did the TikTok and I put it on Instagram and it was talking about the sound. And I saw in the comments that said Brad Wood producer, Brad Wood. And it said, yeah, it, it did sound like that in the studio. And I was like, holy shit. It is so surreal to me that I live in a time where the person who produced the album when I was a teenager is now commenting and somebody that I can have have a conversation with on social media. Surreal, man. All of us who grew up uh, before pre-internet and social media days, it still baffles me. Whereas I'm sure young people who grew up, they're like, yeah, that's just the way it is. You can contact anybody you really like and watch on TV or in the movies or in music. You can contact them if you like. Um, but for me, it will always be this really, really wild thing to experience. But um, so Brad Wood produces this album um, and right out of the gate, uh, I think seven is the first song on the album. It is. I'm, I'm yes, I am positive. It is seven is the first song. And that's a great way to start out an album. You know, you get this whispery vocals by Jeremy Enoch and then it comes in with that just crushing drum work. But that song really has a lot of dynamics to it. But what the the song is that took my breath away. And if you're an SDRE fan, in circles. We all know that feeling that we got when we heard in circles for the first time. Track two. It is probably the be- my favorite Sunny Day Real Estate song tied with how it feels to be something on the, the name of the song off that album. That's my other favorite Sunny Day Real Estate song. Very different pieces of music. But In Circles is that song that I remember hearing by the time I was in college that I was like, oh, I've been missing out. I've been missing out. This is an incredible song. It's just just the way that he goes, I go running down. Oh, it just gives me chills just to even think about it. It's so powerful. Um, I love it so much. But... This, again, like I said, I wasn't listening to this in 94 and 95. I was missing it. 
but Sunny Day Real Estate would pop up a few more times because they would show up in like the Batman Forever soundtrack. And I remember when I got that too, I was like, ooh, I really like this song, Eight. Um, uh, yeah, that's the name of the song, Eight, the number eight. And again, it would be that you play the soundtrack and you go, this is a really cool band. Here we are, two for two. I like the two pieces of music I've heard about this band, but I still haven't chased and pursued them. And whether that was me being distracted by all the other artists I was listening to at the time or just, again, their lack of letting things be known about them being secretive. By the way, the numbering of the songs, the fact that they have that song called Seven, then they have a song called Eight, then they have a song called Nine. And then on this album, they have a song called 48, 47. Apparently, when the band started, they would just number the songs in the order of the, that they had written them. And they had written a bunch of songs, and 47 and 48 are said to have been the first songs that were written by the band once Enoch was involved. And they uh, then they reset their, their countdown after that or something. That's confusing. I hope that explanation makes some sense. So anyway, so songs like seven and eight, that was like the seventh song they wrote and the eighth song they wrote, the ninth song they wrote. But um, the album itself has this feeling, this emo feeling. And I think that the Midwest emo sound that they have is so specifically them. And they're, it, it, Jeremy Enoch's vocals are almost not warbly, but they soar, and sometimes they're a little bit unidentifiable. As in, he's bellowing out these tunes, he's bellowing out these passionate vocals, and you don't necessarily know exactly what he's saying. It's, it's, it's not as clear. And there's a good reason for that, because when he would write songs, he would often just riff and make sounds, phonetic sounds. This is really similar to, you know, Yonsi from Cigaros. It's just kind of using your voice as an instrument, just just riffing and, and improvising and making sounds. And a lot of times when Dan Horner and Jeremy Enoch would write lyrics together, Dan would listen to the sounds and come up with these phrases that he thought he was hearing in the in the gibberish. And that's how they would come up with the, the lyrics to these songs. But there, there's a reason why on this album's lyrics were written on the second one, LP2, the pink one, um, I, I shouldn't really be getting into more details about a second album, but I'll, it's worth mentioning that they were breaking up. They broke up before that album was done, and Jeremy Jeremy's vocals on that album were mostly improvised and gibberish. He did, wasn't even writing lyrics, and they released that album with no album art, no title, because the band broke up. And if you're a fan of this band, you know that they were... Sunday Day Real Estate were known for breaking up and getting back together. That was a thing. It was like all through the 90s, you would hear Sunday Day Real Estate is apart. They're back together. They're apart. They're back together. They're apart. It seemed to be ongoing. And when you go back and you count, you go, it's not that many times. There's only been like four iterations of the band with different lineups and changes. But it they just have these personalities that would cause conflict in the band. It wasn't their music conflict. I've read members saying it. We never had a problem musically. It was the personalities. Another famous thing that happened um, around this time was, you know, they have diary come out. Um, it's kind of an underground album. It's not a huge success. They don't break out. They don't get uh, super famous. But during this time, Jeremy Enoch also becomes a reborn Christian. And, he goes on and he writes kind of an open letter about it 
and he puts it on online and they've gone back in interviews. I read an interview of the band in 2009 and he really regrets putting that letter out there because this was in the infancy of the internet. And so people weren't really aware about how when you write something and you put it online, it just stays with you forever. It was such a new place and platform that nobody knew the reach, the scope, and how something you could say would stay there forever and be misinterpreted and translated and, you know, confused. To be in a very vulnerable place in your life and want to write and say, hey, I've my spirituality is a big part. I want that to be a part of my music. And to put that out there and to think that it's only going to be read by people that really like your music and not taken to a hundred different platforms and stretched and turned and then turned into this narrative that like, oh, the other band members couldn't handle his belief system so that the band broke up because he found Jesus. Um, that's just not true. It's just not true. It was the, the painful reality was Jeremy Enoch wrote this thing in a time where nobody knew how the internet was really gonna um, impact people's lives for forever. And we still see that to this day. You know, if people made decisions um, before we had social media and they come back, it's like, wow, wow, the world was a different place um, before everything was just permanent all the time. But Jeremy, Jeremy Enoch's uh, desires and sensibilities for his music, even with the breakups, he goes on to make his own music. Dan Horner, you know, he moved out to the farm. Every time I read about what Dan did, where he moved out to these rural country farming areas, I think of that movie Pop Star um, with Andy Samberg and Yorma and, and Akiva, the Lonely Island guys. Because I always think of Akiva's character, how he's like living out on a farm and he's like whittling. I think of Dan Horner like that, like just being out on a farm somewhere. <laughs> um, but Nate Mandel and William Goldsmith get pulled into the whole Foo Fighters thing. And I, I won't get into that too much here. Um, because we are just talking about diary and the impact of that album and that time, because really all the stuff that's going on with the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl, that's later, you know, that, that is as the band is trying to find its footing and, um, you know, figuring out what to do. And that's much more around the, the, how it feels to be something on and the rising tide era is where members are getting swapped out. Now, the band had reunited again in 2009, I think it was, 2008, and that's because Nate Mendel was the one who reached out to his bandmates and was like, I think we should do another sunny day. And I've thought about that a little bit. I've thought about it because Dave Grohl has famously um, come out and said that there was a time that that band wasn't going to make it much longer. You know, where he was really disillusioned with the Foo Fighters and wanted the whole thing to come apart. And then he has this moment. He writes times like these. You know, if you've seen that, th that work. So it makes me wonder if around the time that Nate Mandel reached out to his former bandmates in Sunny Day Real Estate, was it the time that Dave was feeling disillusioned with Foo Fighters? And so the future of his band is on shaky terms. So he's thinking, well, I've got these guys. I don't know that to be true, 100%. But that might have had something to do with why he came back. And wanted to work with them. But I, again, listen to me. I'm still talking about an era that has nothing to do with Diary, guys. Um, diary is not the one that really blew me out of the water as much as LP2, the Pink Album, did. But I did something on this episode of Waterproof Records that I don't normally do. I usually choose the album... 
like you've seen me talk about before, the album that changed the game for me personally. And so sometimes I'll skip to sophomore albums or later releases or something that came out like their fifth album because I'm like, this is the album that changed my life. And I'll, I'll still do that from time to time. And like I said, I missed Diary when it came out, but I came back to it. And I have such fond memories of being at University of Illinois with my buddy Jarrett and talking and listening and feeling sunny day real estate music during that chapter of my life. That would have been 1997, 98, 99. Those years, I would put these albums, Diary, LP2, in my ears and I would walk around campus and I would listen to just Jeremy Enix soaring, soaring vocals over those guitar parts and it just really connected. Those cold University of Illinois winters walking around in the snow and the bitter cold and listening to those songs. And I that's where this album takes me back to. It takes me back to that time. Those rhythm parts that they do, the dun-dun-dun, you know, those those breakdowns and songs on here like in circles. You know, if we look at the the um track listing, seven. Amazing. In Circles, one of my favorites of all time. Every song on here is pretty great. Song About an Angel. We only have a few that are unusual. Like Fuerton Squerto is just kind of that that interesting piano piece where he's kind of singing over it. It's not necessarily a bad song. It just kind of feels like a filler. You know, like I can't imagine ever anybody saying like, put on Fuerton Squerto. That's a song I'm going to listen to right now. Feels like uh, the equivalent of Jane's Addiction's Thank You Boys. Uh, just kind of we're we're in, we're out. It's a it's a it's a tune, but um, not necessarily a, 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 a memorable track that you would put on. But besides that, some of my other favorite songs in here. Are Sometimes that's an amazing song. Forty seven is an amazing song. Forty eight is an amazing song. Um, all of them. I'm looking at the track list. They released a deluxe edition, a 2009 edition, and they added eight and nine at the end of that. Um, cause I think those were recorded during that, that era. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to cover about sunny day real estate before I wrapped up the episode. Um, you know, this band they're touring right now, minus Nate Mendel, Chris Jordan, I think is playing the bass for the band now. And I think that maybe there's a possibility that Nate Mendel could come back and play with the band at some point in time. But I was supposed to see him this month in Los Angeles, and sadly, William Goldsmith broke a bone in his hand, and so they had to cancel the rest of the tour, and they're going to have it come back. But I'd been holding off on Sunny Day Real Estate because I was hoping I'd get a chance to see them play again, and then I would do the Waterproof Records episode on this album. But because they postponed, I was like, it's okay. We'll just talk about it now, and in 2023, I'll get a chance to see them. Um. If you're not into, you know, the emo genre as a whole, I can understand why this might not be your cup of tea, but I would recommend you picking up one of the four albums by this band from from the 90s. Will we get another Sunday Day album? There does exist uh songs, I think 11 or 12 songs they recorded at Studio 606, which I've been told we will never hear. You know, I think there's snippets of them or rough recordings that circulate out on YouTube, but 
while there was some drama between, you know, William Goldsmith went online in 2018 and basically said like, yeah, these, these songs we recorded are being held in Dave Grohl's sock drawer, which he was just using as a metaphor. Like we're not even worth anything. We're just shoved in the bottom of a drawer over there at studio 606. So there was obviously some tension there, but I think that Jeremy Enoch and other band members have come out and said, look, we got to, I got to be honest that those tracks that we recorded back then for this fifth album we were going to release just aren't that great. They're boring. They miss the mark. They're not quite good enough. And I think we have to chalk it up to, yeah, we went in, we tried to record a bunch of songs, but it just didn't come together. So will we ever hear another album from the original lineup of the four? I don't know. But I think that Sunny Day Real Estate will probably release another record with at least three out of four, maybe. It's a good chance of that. Because after they broke up, you know, Jeremy Enoch went off and made a solo album, Return of the Frog Queen. And then they started The Fire Theft, which was a, a band with with everybody except for Dan Horner. So there's just different iterations of this band that come along the way. But I was going to go back and just say that of the four in the 90s, I can I can describe them as this. Diary, the first album in 94, is that debut. It is out of the, it comes just crashing through with energy. It's, it's well-produced. Um, Wood did an incredible job on it. And it just, re- that really is a good place to start with that band. LP2 is so emotive and feeling and visceral and raw because it feels unfinished. It feels like it, we weren't meant to hear it. LP2 feels like an album that was passed around on tapes and and secretly, you know, you go to see somebody and be like, have you heard this? It's just this demo. It feels like a demo. So it connects in a different way. Then you get to how it feels to be something on which has so many much, you know, so many interesting dynamics about how it weaves through different musical styles. It's cleaner. It's more um, feels more advanced musically. And that one doesn't have Nate Mandel on it, but it is a great album. And then the rising tide is their stadium arena rock album. The last one they do is like a rush record. It's like a, it's like a monumental, like these are some big stadium, fill the seats, rock songs, great songs. Uh, Some of the songs on that album are incredible faces in disguise. Forget about it. It's such a good song, but it really is the last version of that band in the nineties. I think it's actually released in 2000. Um, that is, it's big and full. So if you want to check out this band, go to diary and sit with it. And this is an exciting time for a pre, well, the internet existed, but not, not hugely used a band that wouldn't allow press or interviews, a band that wouldn't go to California because they said, fuck it, we'll do our own thing. A band that would only allow one press photo, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of you can't define us. You can't tell us who we are. So before you sit here and you go, oh, Sunny Day Real Estate, that emo, that second wave of emo band, that's a really simple way of distilling down four incredibly talented artists that came together in Seattle, signed were signed to Sub Pop in a time where their style of music wasn't necessarily the thing, and really connected with a lot of us. And I have a feeling that if I get a chance to go see Sunny Day Real Estate live next year, tears will fill my eyes 
when I hear in circles. I know it. I know I'm going to have my head tilted back in a dingy club, you know, venue, and I'm just going to be belting out in circles. My vocal range completely unable to hit what Jeremy Enoch can still do with his voice. Um, but I know that's what I'm going to feel. And that's from this album. So good. Diary. I didn't spend a lot of time talking about that cover art that has the, the drawings of the people. Um, I probably should have done a little bit more research about who was behind that and the story. But this album is feeling driven, so I wanted to give you my feelings on it, my memories on it. Um, I think that'll that'll do it. I think we did it. I think we we got an episode out, and I'm happy about it. So once again, thank you guys. I can't do this without you. I do need you to tell people about Waterproof Records. As you can see, I'm wearing my own shirt that says Waterproof Records. I do have a store. If you want to check it out, it's in the links on my social media. You can go to my link tree. And I have a store through a service called Bonfire. And I have out there waterproof records, hats, mugs. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> I have out there waterproof records, hats, mugs, shirts, um, sweatshirts, and hoodies. And then I also have a couple other shirts that I've been making just because I think they're cool. You know, I, if you want to get them, one is music is everywhere and it has this tree line that looks like a sound wave. Then I have one called Hope is Punk and has a skull sitting on top of a sunflower. That came from a, a TikTok live. And then I have, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to listen about it, which was from my Massey Star um, TikTok. And then I have, what's the other one? Oh, um, I'm angry, but learning uh, from Rage Against the Machine was another one as well. So I have some shirts out there if you guys want to pick them up. Um, or if you have something that you'd like me to, to try to put on a shirt and I could make it as a special thing. I don't know. I'm still figuring all this out, you guys. But again, go out there, spread the word, tell your friends about Waterproof Records. I am so appreciative of the kind and sweet and loving compliments and feedback and reviews you guys have put out in the world. And I'm so excited to keep making episodes and to do more and have guests and, and deep dives into more albums and talk about some of the songs that you might ne never have heard. So thank you for joining me for another episode of Waterproof Records, your unsinkable tunes from the past, present, and future. And don't forget to check out distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof for 30% off of your first year of uh, using their services. They are very great for getting your music out in the world and you got to check them out. So thanks everyone. I've been your fearful host. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob Gibbons from Waterproof Records. We'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of fun. Waterproof.